today. Um, I'd be remiss if I didn't uh, um, give a little shout out to Endicott Park. Yeah, Endy is, uh, he's going to be leaving us. Um, I know, it's, it's hard to believe, uh, but we love you very much, brother. It's, um, it's been really cool. Um, we moved here almost eight years ago. And you have grown in so many different ways. Yeah. You're always a tall kid. You're still a tall kid. Um, but uh, you're also a very spiritual uh, young man. And we are really grateful for how you've contributed to the worship here, to the fellowship, the impact that you've had on uh, the younger generation, and us, us um, more mature folks. So, <laughs> but he's going down. He's got a job. He's got a big boy job down in North Carolina. Using his degree. Really proud of you. That's awesome. <clears throat> Well, um, if there is a title for the lesson this morning, it's The Last Laugh. And uh, laughter is one of those things where <clears throat> I associate it a lot with humor. Um, but uh, we're going to read in our text that um, there's also a uh, um, kind of a scoffing kind of laugh, a laugh of disbelief. Um, but there's also a, a, a laugh of joy and glee, and we are, oftentimes we don't really associate it with that, except for like little kids when they get laughing, and it's just, it's so contagious. How can you not just smile? But uh, we've, been, we've been studying out Genesis, and we've been following Abraham and Sarah, <clears throat> and uh, today our text is going to be in Genesis 21, and it's the birth of Isaac. Now, before we, uh, before we read our, our text there, you know, I want us to go back and, and kind of summarize, or not summarize, but kind of just do a quick overview of all that's happened here in about the last 10 chapters, because it's really incredible when you think about it. Here, Abraham, and uh, we're, we're introduced to Abraham and Sarah in Genesis chapter 11, and um, they're, um, they're called... Uh, out by God, and uh, in, in Genesis 12, verse 1 through 3, this incredible, um, this incredible promise is given to, to Abraham, and God comes down and, and talks with them, and God says, I'm going to make you into a great nation, Hallelujah! which is incredible. Um, in, in the next chapter, in chapter 13, um, God interacts with Abraham again, and he says in verse uh, 14 and 16, that I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, if it could be counted. Like if you could count the dust, your offspring are going to be that many. In, uh, in, in Genesis 15, again, God comes in and, um, and speaks to Abraham, and he says, look at the sky and count the stars, if, if, again, if you could count them, so shall your offspring be. God made this incredible um, promise to Abraham and to Sarah. And he continues to reiterate that, 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 um, that promise. In, uh, in Genesis 17, verse 6, and then in uh, 15, verse 15 and 16, he says, I will make nations of you. Kings will come from you. And, and Sarah, your wife, you know, that older lady that you're still married to, she specifically is going to be the mother. Kings will come from her. You know, when, when God first spoke to Abraham, he was 75 years old. My dad is 79. Hallelujah! Amen. Amen. But you know, this is real. 
this is what we've been we've been studying and we've been we've been connecting with Abraham over the last you know eight weeks or so. But these, this was a very real promise that was made to him. And um, and what's incredible is when God when God gave this promise to Abraham in the time the, the subsequent times when he reiterated that that promise. He, he reiterated it with, with more and more grandeur. You know, I'll make you, I'll make you father of a, of a nation, but then your descendants are going to be like the dust of the earth, if you could count that. But then, but then later on, he goes, it'll be like, look up in the sky, look at the night sky. If you could count those stars, so many will your, your offspring be. What an incredible promise that God keeps reiterating. He does not change. But you know, then there's the there's the cold hard facts. There's his wife, Sarah. You know, Sarah was no young lassie. <laughs> when, when she's 10 years younger than Abraham. So when he first, God first spoke to him at 75, Sarah's 65. I know better than to ask if there's any ladies here who are of the age of around 65. I know that much better than that. But you know, we got to think about that. That is a very real thing. You know, um, in Genesis 11, verse 30, it says specifically that Sarah was childless because she was not able to conceive. Wow. It wasn't a matter of, you know, just wrong timing. It was she was childless. She was barren. Her womb was barren. She, she was not able to conceive. In Genesis 16, 2, it says uh, Sarah attributed her barrenness to God preventing her from having children. In, um, in Genesis 18, 11, uh, it describes her as very old. That's, you know. I'm just reading the scriptures, okay? Yeah. Very old and past the age of childbearing. So, you know, the backdrop for this, for our text this morning, is that God makes this incredible promise to Abraham repeatedly, and under physical circumstances and the physical reality that Sarah's womb, in the physical circumstances and, and, and uh, reality of Sarah's womb, had not changed. Nothing had changed there. So let's read our text over in Genesis chapter 21, verse 1. So the Lord was gracious to Sarah, and as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age, and at the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave him the name Isaac and the, to the son Sarah bore him. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him, and God commanded him, as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. You know, no matter how long it takes, or no matter what the circumstances are, God always fulfills his promises. He always fulfills his promises, but he does it in his timing and in his timing. You know, I, I, don't, I don't profess 
to know what all that means in terms of his timing. But what I know for me, and what I can tell from this passage and in the passage we're going to look at here, is that God wants our hearts to be in a condition of complete trust in him. You know, the, the timing is for us. It's so our hearts can catch up with the reality that God is going to fulfill his promises, that God is faithful. You know, the other thing is God loves to make it abundantly clear that it's his power that the miracle has come through. That it is, it, it's, it's by no means even possible for Sarah to, to conceive a child right. at 90 years old. Nowhere even close. At 65, you know, there may have been a few people out there like, oh man, bad luck for her. You know, sleepless nights again. Oh my goodness, ah! You know, Tiffany, you know, Stephen, man. <laughs> we, we sort of remember what it was like, but really it's a distant memory. Sorry, guys. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, but at 100, there is no way at not Sarah being 90, there is no way that you can't call that a miracle. Yeah, that's right. And who gets all the praise? God does. Right. You know, if they had had a whole bunch of kids from the age of, even, even from the age of 75 up, you know, a whole bunch of kids would be like, oh, wow, that's really odd. What a fertile yeah. couple. Yeah. Old fertile couple. <laughs> Don't stand too close to them in the fellowship. Never know what's going to happen. But in the very real way, there's no way that you could attribute this anything more, any, to anything less than the power of God. Right. You know, when we go back, go back in time a little bit, I, I, we, we looked at a few of the passages, the, the, the ways that God promised it, the, the ways that God reiterated his promise. But it's interesting, you know, we know from our text here what Sarah's response was. She was filled with laughter, with joy. That wasn't Abraham and Sarah's initial response. You know, back in chapter 17, a number of years had gone by from the time that God originally sent him to make you father of nations. In, uh, in chapter 17, verse 17, it says that when God spoke to him, Abraham fell face down and he laughed and he said to himself, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah carry a child? Will bear a child at the age of 90? You know, he kind of laughed to himself. It was a laugh of disbelief. But God still allowed it to, to happen. In, a, in a, the next chapter, in 18, verse two, 12, it says, Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? She too laughed to herself. You know, there are times when God makes promises to us, and our response is a laugh of disbelief. Preach it. You know, back then, totally understandable. Yeah. They're old coots. (laughs) I mean, they make my dad look like a young man. Hallelujah! Amen. (laughs) But the story here ends with God bringing Sarah laughter and joy. And they named their son Isaac, which literally means 
He laughs. Right. You know, not only did God do the supernatural, the impossible, but he turned laughs of disbelief into cries of joy and delight. What are, what is the greater miracle? Is it the conception? Or is it the turning of the heart to a total trusting heart? You know, the reality is that it's impossible for that to happen. But it happened. So what does that mean for us here in 2017? As we reflect back and we read this text, I can tell you what it doesn't mean. I, uh, I thought, if you look back, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just Google, what's, who's the oldest mother? The oldest woman who's born child to record? 66 years and 365 days, 358 days old, sorry. Seven days short of being 67. It wasn't a natural conception. In vitro fertilization with donor eggs. It's not even cheating. That's just, you know. You know what's really sad? She died two years later. Died two years later. You know, when God makes us promises, we, the, the, the challenge is, will we get our heart to the point where we get to see those, those promises fulfilled? And, um, you know, the, the gospel is meant to bring joy. It's meant to bring joy in our lives. And yeah. there's, a, there's kind of two responses to the gospel of Jesus. You know, there's those who, you know, when you go and, and you really share your faith, they're still, they, they kind of get the, yeah, thanks. Right. You know, that's the, that's the polite laugh of disbelief. You know, sometimes we get an even stronger, you know, laugh of disbelief. But now, nah, are you kidding me? Christian, that's a crutch. What do you need that for? You know, but then, you know, you talk in fellowship and you hear of folks overcoming. And it's a laugh of joy. It's a laugh of joy. Turn with me over to Second Peter chapter 3. You know, our culture, our culture is missing out on the laugh of joy that the gospel brings. And I think there's, I, I think about my life and, and my friends' lives. And I think there's, there's two reasons for that. I think, one, we, we really have the wrong view of timing and of time. And I think the second thing is that we don't understand the real promise. And um, in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 3, we're going to read a, a longer text here. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 3. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised? Hey, when's the world going to end? When's, this, when's Jesus going to come back again? You guys have been talking about that. Ah, why hasn't it happened yet? Ever since our ancestors died, but everything goes on 
as it has since the beginning of creation. Nothing's changed. People are people. The, the sun sets, the sun rises. There's, you know, the shoulder shrug, you know, the laugh. Uh, uh, what, what's, nothing's different. Verse 5, but they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. And by these waters also, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. The earth and everything in it and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. You know, I think one of the reasons for the scoffing is that we don't understand timing. We think that it's got to be a certain hour and a certain day and a certain month and a certain year. We think that hardship or trials or, or something that we really desire is going to, should come to pass in a certain amount of time. The emphasis is on time versus the, the journey of getting our heart to be where God wants it to be. Right. Yep. You know, I think the other reason for scoffing is that we don't understand the real promises of God. We hear the promises that we want to hear. You know, we kind of treat God as this hybrid between Santa Claus and the greatest of lawyers, doctors, and magicians. There you go. <laughs> you know, I, I, I know all of us can relate to this. When are we praying the most fervently? Yeah. It's when... It's, we, we can't, we're in trouble. We don't have the answer. Yeah, we don't right. know what to do. We can't see a result out, outside of some ugly consequence or some terrible heartache or some, some death and destruction. You know, we, we want to avoid consequences. We want, we want the healing. We don't want to go through sickness. We don't want to go through trial. We want vindication when we're wronged. God, please give them what they deserve. We want the easiest, best paying job. We want an easy boss, one who just recognizes what an incredible person I am and how I just deserve a raise. In fact, I deserve an extra day off. I'm, just, you know, I'm that guy in the office. 
We want a savings-free retirement. Yep. We want it easy. We want, well, I already got this one, the most beautiful spouse. Um, she didn't get the most handsome spouse. But you know, you know, we want, you know, we want this, we want the outward appearances. We want to we wanna be the person that people draw, are drawn to in the room. I mean, you know, when we, when, we, when we see that, we're jealous of it in others. You know, how about our families? We want perfect kids. That's right. Easy kids. <laughs> we don't have enough time to talk about how I didn't fulfill that desire in my family. We always don't give all we want. Amen. <laughs> God gave you what you needed, Dad. <laughs> you know, we want all the benefits of life without the struggles and without the consequences. And we put this under the umbrella of the gospel. You know, where do we find that book, chapter, and verse? Is that really the gospel? You know, it's really... It's really been convicting for me when, I, when I've spent some time, gone deeper into this passage, and really, really asked myself, what, what are God's promises for me? What are God's promises for us? You know, there's not that many. Because we don't need that many. He gave us the greatest promise that there is. And that is the hope of eternal life with Him. That's right. That is the greatest promise. Yet we get so wrapped up in our wants for the here and now. We lose sight of God's timing. You know, some of the other things that Jesus promised, Jesus promised us hardship. Jesus promised us suffering. Jesus promised us persecution. Jesus promised us that if we really follow him, people will hate us. You know, it's, it's like the upside down of what it really ought to be. The way we think it ought to be. But on the other hand, you know, he did promise us life to the full. He pro- promises us peace with God. We can actually be at peace. We can go from being under God's wrath to having peace with God. We can have eternal life that he's prepared a room and a place for us in heaven. Amen. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. Amen. There'll be good beds there. Perfect fluffiness of pillow. Oh, it'll be nice. Room will always be the right temperature. <laughs> you won't be able to hear the snoring next to you. you know? I don't know. It's, it's, it's going to be so much... I mean, it's really almost... I, I say that in good jest, but it'll be almost like a bad joke how incredible heaven is. You know, not only that, Jesus promises us that nothing can separate us from his love. Amen. Nothing Amen. can separate us from the love of Christ. We can separate ourselves, but there's no barrier there. That the Holy Spirit lives in us. We're promised that, that the Holy Spirit, and that's a guarantee that we're in. That's our ticket in. We're clothed with Christ. We're a new creation. He promises us an easy yoke and a light burden. 
Those are incredible promises that we have. You know, from this passage, <clears throat> we've got to focus on the right promise. We've got to make sure that we have the right promise. You know, the right promise here in verse 9, it says, the, low, the, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. To come into repentance. You know, that's, that's the right promise that we need to hold on to. The right promise that we want to focus on. And it's, I, repentance, man, there's, a, there's, there's books written on repentance. And I could take time to, to try to define that and make that really, try to make that really crystal clear in our minds. And, I, and if it's not, please, we want to help you get there. But repentance is like, it's like a complete shift and change in the way that you think. Right. In, what you're, in what you're walking to and towards, the way you live your life, the way you, the way you, what you desire. And it's, and it's a, a turning away from this world. From, in verse 3, the evil desires. And it's a turning to God. Sometimes it's easiest to define something by its, its evidence in people. And, and it's like, man, you know it when you see it. Yep. You know, when there is a couple that like each other, that are dating, and they have a pure relationship, they've, they've hit that condition of they've come into repentance. You know, they're not hands all over each other trying to please themselves. It's about purity. It's about pleasing God. It's about friendship and, and growing in, in, with each other. You know, that that's something that the world laughs at. The world scoffs at. Are you kidding me? Your first kiss on the wedding day? What? What would like you got a really bad case of halitosis or something? No. I mean, it's, it's scoffing. We, we laugh at it. You know, the world laughs at real repentance when people really truly live for others and not themselves. When they consistently make decisions where I'm, I'm going to meet somebody else's need and I am going to go without. The world laughs at that. You know, we're an incredibly divided country. We love people who look like us, think like us, act like us. You know, the world scoffs when they see a household of roommates of different colors, different sizes, shapes, but functioning as a family. And the only thing that relates them is the blood of Jesus. Amen. That's real repentance. You know, the world laughs at the idea of marrying somebody of a different race or different a different uh, economic background. You know, one of the one of the brothers here in the fellowship, before he knew the gospel, before he came into true repentance, man, 
incredibly racist. He bought a cow for his African-American, or actually African in-laws, black African in-laws, as part of the dowry to marry his wife. She's got a better tan than him, let's just say. You know, people laugh at that, because they can't believe it. I can't believe somebody could go being so racist to the gospel transforming their lives. You know, how about our marriages? You know, what's a, what's the typical marriage in the world? Sarcasm. I got my things, you got your things, two separate sinks, two separate timetables, two careers. You meet in the middle to take care of the kids. You know, the world laughs at a marriage where the husband makes significant efforts to serve his wife because he can, because he wants to. Yeah. He wants to love her more than he loves himself. That's right. You know, the world laughs when the wife makes distinct decisions. You know what? I, I, I'm going to lay my opinion and my desire aside, and I'm going to submit to what my husband wants in this, how my husband's leading me in this. Amen. You know, that's real repentance. That's something that the world scoffs at, laughs at. Are you kidding me? You're in a marriage where it's not about what you get out of it? You know, the world laughs when we make distinct decisions in our family not to put our kids first. Where we make distinct decisions that them being a part of every athletic team or the best team or the travel team or taking all the different uh, lessons and, and doing this and that and, and the whole family revolving around them. Well, we make distinct decisions not to do that. Yep. Well, we make distinct decisions to discipline our children. Yep. Like, you really took your phone away from your teenager? Yeah. Wow. Like, you really didn't let your son get his driver's license when his age said he could? No. No. He didn't do his best in his classes. The world laughs and scoffs at us when we really come into this true repentance. Notice what we see here about God. God is patient. God is patient. He wants us all to come in to his repentance. Right. To come into this station in life. Amen. He doesn't want anybody to perish. Right. Do you catch that? Yep. There is a judgment. There is death. There is consequences to not repenting. Right. If you don't understand repentance, we want to talk about it. We want to talk about it. It needs to be evidence in our life. It's not about just being sorry. It's about a shift and a change and decision to live differently. And it's, an, it's empowered by God. It's a promise. It's a gift. You know, the timing is God's timing. Amen. God wants us to get to this place. A day may seem like a thousand years. 
you know, when we are when we are in those those in between times, incredible promise to Abraham. He's old. He's like God. When's it coming? When's it coming? You know, there's we know as married couples, there's some faithful things that you can do to try to conceive. I don't think he was thinking that. You know, I'm sure that they were trying to conceive. Years and years go by. He knows I'm not getting any younger. Wow. He believed, and it was credited to him as faithful as, as righteousness. How do we do? in those long periods of time. How do we do? You know, I, I want to share with you my personal journey into repentance. You know, timing, timing's everything. You know, my dad, my dad made great strides to try to train me in the way of the Lord as a teenager. Um, but I was good at telling him what he wanted to hear, and uh, and he had my parents were divorced, so it was um, he had limited time with me. But I could really I can really relate to verse three, where it says, um, "In the last days, scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires." None of us like to describe ourselves as having evil desires, but really that that's a great description of me. Yep. Everything was about what I wanted right. and how it benefited me. And I wanted to look good all the time. And I, I looked on the outside like a pretty good kid. I was a good guy. I had a lot of friends. I was an athlete. I was a good student. I went off to college. I even played the greatest sport on earth, ice hockey. <laughs> but what was on the inside was selfishness. I would do anything to be accepted. I would do anything to... Um, have physical pleasure with women. I was a slave to impurity. I was a racist. Um, I would do anything that I could to get a leg up on my colleagues as long as they didn't know about it. I was a snake. I was a liar. But I looked good on the outside. You know, now comes God's timing. You know, God works through adversity. God works through challenges. God allowed me to suffer through a lot of things so that I gave up my hope in everything else but Him. I gave up my hope in my athletic career. I had a, a knee injury and when I was playing hockey. wasn't sure I'd ever play again. It wasn't responding to treatment. Um, I, got, um, I got mono. This laid out. I've never gotten sick like that before in my life. Um, I had a semester that I bombed in school. Um, I cheated on my girlfriend and I got caught. And then I find out that she had been cheating on on me with one of my high school buddies. Uh, and it had been going on for a while. It's devastating. Um, my family moved away. I felt abandoned alone. And I kept reaching out. But I didn't understand repentance. I didn't understand the true gospel. And um, God transformed me. Met some strangers because I was I was in a spot. I was open. Met some strangers who lived transformed lives. 
went out on pure dates with other women just to go out and have pure fun. Met some guys who really knew the scriptures. They studied the Bible with me. And I was transformed into a, a man who treated women with purity and respect, whose best friends have different skin color. I was, I was brought to a point where I didn't ever care if I played college hockey again. I, didn't, I, didn't, I was willing to give up my college education because I, I, I had the hope of eternal life. I locked into that promise. I, um, I invited everybody that I knew to study the Bible with me. I knew a ton of people on campus. Ton of people. Studied the Bible with all kinds of different people. Got scoffed at, laughed at. My classmates were like, you mean you're sharing your notes with us? You're sharing the prior year's exams that an upperclassman gave you? You're sharing that stuff? You're helping me understand this stuff? It was a transformation. I laughed at how the gospel had transformed me. You know, just like the birth of Isaac, it's too impossible to be true, but it happened. You know, there are those in our fellowship, when we, when we sit back and we reflect, we're just like Sarah, we're laughing with joy because the impossible has happened in our lives. We've been transformed into people that we never could have been on our own. We, 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 you know, we, we sought out to sprinkle a little Jesus here and there, but that's that gospel that everybody scoffs at. This is the gospel people laugh at in disbelief because we, we're living it out. You know, the challenge for us, brothers and sisters, is to take the time and reflect on how the repentance of God, where it's brought you into, and to laugh with joy. Amen. And share that. Share that. You know, there, there's friends of ours who are here. We have friends in our neighborhood. We have family members who laugh in their hearts at the gospel that we live out. They laugh in their hearts. If you're laughing in disbelief today, and you feel like, oh, you don't know Paul. You don't know the mess I'm in. You don't know how far I feel from God. You don't know. You don't know the pain and the suffering. You don't know how I've been abused or whatever. Please. God's promise of the hope of eternal life is for you too. You can be brought into a place of repentance. Please. Spend time with us. Let's study this out. Yeah. Let's, let's wrestle to, to help you get your heart into the place where you believe yeah. and you can come into the same repentance that we read about. Yeah. And we all can have the greatest and the last laugh with God together in eternity. Amen. Yeah.